Well, please turn, if you would, in God's Word to Romans chapter 11. And we have been studying this book, how this book shows us God and His attributes or His beauties, His excellencies. And we're not studying everything that we could in the book of Romans, but every time that it brings up a new attribute or truth of God, we are taking time to look at these together, His love, His wrath, His righteousness, His grace. And and today we come to God's first mention of wisdom in the end of chapter 11. And as Paul mentions this, really, God's wisdom, he's going to move from theology to doxology, which is glorifying God. He's been, for 11 chapters now, preaching about the gospel. Now he's going to praise the God of the gospel. And, and I think that's how it should be for us as well. As we see God's attributes, that should, that should impact our affections toward God. His wisdom in particular here should lead to our worship. And when we truly see God, that should move us to truly sing to God. So as we look at Romans eleven thirty three, we need to understand this is This is a celebration. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? This is a passage that is glorifying and praising God as he comes to this now, as he meditates on God's wisdom, he, he launches into praise, oh, the depths. And in the context, back in verse 25, is not being wise in your own eyes. And the context is about God's hardening of Israel, but not because us Gentiles are any wiser. Paul says in verses 25 through 26, Israel is partially and temporarily hardened until the fullness of those who are Gentiles who will be saved come into the church. And at that time, all Israel will be saved. But verse 28 says, Israel, as a nation, is sadly an enemy of the gospel. Israel does not mean the elect here. This is the Jews who reject. But Romans 11 is saying God is not through with the Jews in his wise plan, verse 31. So they too have now been disobedient, that's Israel, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that's Israel as a whole, that he may have mercy on all. Again, this is the Israel from verse 26, saving mercy. And then he says, verse 32, in light of all that, oh, the depth of the riches and Wisdom, And he's thinking about this in particular, but we could also say everything he's been saying for the first 11 chapters now as he comes to this point, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom. He's talking here about his all-wise plan for nations and for salvation. But also he displays his wisdom, he has already said, in creation and in his orchestration of all things. That most famous verse in Romans, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. He has said that. And here in Romans eleven thirty six, all things are from Him and through Him and to Him. To God be the glory forever. Amen. That's the context. 
before and after this. And the end of the book, the very last verse says this, To the only wise God be glory forevermore. And so I want us to see how the wisdom of God glorifies God. In this passage, we're going to look at the depth of God's wisdom. We're going to look at the definition of God's wisdom. We're going to see the display of God's wisdom and then the, our discerning of God's wisdom, all from this text. First, the depth. Verse 33 starts with, Oh, the depth of the riches and, and wisdom. And that word, oh, has already been used back in chapter 9 when he says, Who are you, oh, man, to answer back to God? You're the clay. He's the potter. The, the potter is quite a bit wiser than the clay is the image there. He's infinitely wiser. Who are we, O oh, men, to question God and his, and his wisdom and His ways? Paul says also at the end of chapter 7, the same word, O oh, wretched man that I am. But here he says, O oh, the wisdom of God. And I am convicted how, how foolish I can be. I have needed this study. I'm convicted. I'm not as impacted by this truth as I need to be. And this is the word Jesus used to say, Oh, foolish ones. That's us. We're the people from Romans 1 who can profess to be wise, can claim to be wise, but become fools. That's sin's trajectory. When we're wise in our own eyes, we are fools in God's eyes. But in contrast to that, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He, he talks in Ephesians 1 about how God's riches were lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. That's how God lavishes the, the depth of His riches on us in all wisdom. But this first word, oh, is, is a word of emotion. And, and this needs to impact us as Paul is saying this with emotion like, like Jesus when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, there is a, an emotion, there's a pathos, there's a, a passion with these words. The Psalms speak this way also. Out of the depths I cry to you, Oh, Lord, Oh, Lord, your thoughts are very deep. Another Psalm says, Your judgments are like the great deep. Paul says, Oh, the depth, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable his, his ways. David cries out, O oh Lord, how manifold are all your works in wisdom. You have made them all. And I think maybe even a sense of this. Last night I was up in Placerville and I looked out and I saw a beautiful sunset in the sky. And I, all I could say was, oh, and I think that's the kind of oh that's here. Or in Sunday school... Brian was talking about going to the Grand Canyon, and, and I haven't actually been to the Grand Canyon, but I, I, I hear when people go to the Grand Canyon, this is the, the word they often say, oh, and they look at the depth. You can see it in pictures, but it's something to see it in person, and all you can do is say, oh. Or maybe someone who's never seen the ocean before. There's actually a lot of people who have grown up in different parts of the United States. They've never seen the ocean where you can't see the end of it. And to, to come to the coast and to see the, the length and the breadth and the, the depth of it. And you just say, oh, there, there's no end to it. It just keeps going. All you can do is say, oh. 
And as I was thinking about that, compared to God's wisdom, my wisdom is like, like a little communion cup. Take one of these little communion cups, and I, I go to the Pacific, and, and I can try to fill it up, but there's a lot more out there. And maybe compared to me, other people might have a bigger cup or a, a bucket, but none of us are coming close to the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Think about the Mariana Trench that deepest part of the ocean that's miles deep. If, if you took Mount Everest and planted it in there, it would vanish from your sight. That's how deep it is. The depth it just keeps going down and down. And that's how it is even in a greater way with God. Oh, the depths of his wisdom and his knowledge. I was with the, some of the people at Gold Country Retirement Center this Tuesday and talking about some of these same Truths, and I asked them for help with examples uh, for my, my message. What are some things that make you say, oh, as you contemplate the works of God? And one of them talked about the, the oh when she saw the Alps for the first time. And it was just oh. Or someone else talked about looking at a starry sky out in Guam, far away from the city lights where we are here, way out in the ocean, you look up and you see stars you've never seen before, and you just meditate on it, and all you can do is say, Oh, like David, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have made, what is man that you are mindful of us. What is the Son of Man that you would care for us? And the amazing thing is, He is mindful of us. He does care for us. And in His wisdom, He is wisely working in all things in our life for our best. Another senior saint there mentioned the snow in the Nevadas. You ever just, you haven't seen it for a while, and you come and you see it, there's been a snow, and you say, oh, or. Or someone said they remembered when their first baby was born, and they just said, oh. There's just no other words to say. That's what Paul is doing here. Job 12, 12 says, Wisdom is found with the elderly, and understanding comes with long life. Anyone say amen to that? There's, there's wisdom with the elderly. There's understanding with long life, the, the aged and the aged in Scripture, there is wisdom here. There's a lot of wisdom in this room. And I want to encourage you to ask, as I did, ask someone who is older than you, after the service maybe, or, or in the future, where have they seen God's wisdom in their life, at work? What are some of the things that God has just caused them to step back and say, oh, the depth of God's wisdom. These senior saints around us can, can sing with even greater meaning, Oh God, our help in ages past. And they can sing from experience for decades, Oh love that will not let me go. I like to sometimes look around when we're singing and look at some of the, the faces of you as you're singing. And it's a sweet thing to see Brothers and sisters in their 80s and 90s singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Or, or maybe really fitting with the language of this text, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast 
unmeasured, boundless, free. That's the kind of language Paul is using here, unsearchable, boundless, endless, depth. Paul sees the riches of God and he sings out, oh, the depth. In chapter 8, he said, there's no height or depth. There's nothing in all creation that can separate us from the depths of God's love for us in Christ. But here in this text, it's, oh, the depth, as he thinks of God's wisdom in particular. And maybe thinking of Old Testament passages like Daniel 2, 21, God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge. He reveals deep and hidden things. That's what our God does. He reveals that to us, the deep and the hidden things. And we need to not stay in the shallow end of the pool. We're not as a church to be a kiddie pool. You know, it's it's okay to have have a a kiddie pool somewhere where you start into a point, but we need to go deeper. We need to learn to to swim in the depth of who God is. It's, It's very good for us to be outside of our depth and to say, oh, as we realize God's depth. And remember, this is a praise. Romans 11, 33 is a praise. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. We should long for more people to praise God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Oh, the depth, the fathomless character, illimitable death, what immensity, what profundity, what a privilege, he says, it is for us to be entering into uncharted territory. This ocean, this never-ebbing sea, God's depth of wisdom. That's the depth of his wisdom. But let's see, secondly, the definition of his wisdom. Because it mentions wisdom and knowledge. So, so how do we define wisdom and knowledge as these words are used together? Paul's talked about knowledge already in Romans 8. God's foreknowledge, which I think there is best understood as his intimate loving us beforehand, knowing us before. Like he told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the, wor- the womb, I knew you. That means I loved you. I set my love upon you. But also we know God knows everything about Everything. And he knows everything about us. He knows things about us that we don't know. And he knows the depths of the universe. He knows the stars by name. I I have trouble keeping my kids' names straight. God knows star. I mean, you can't even fathom the numbers of stars that they estimate. And the reality is there's stars that we're never going to see with a telescope that he knows by name. And he also knows the depths of my sin. And he loves me the same. That is amazing. That is amazing knowledge. He knows and he numbers the hairs on our head. He also knows my hopes, my fears, and yours. And what's on your heart right now. Psalm 139, we heard this in Sunday school. Let's let's read this out loud together. This is just part of Psalm 139. Let's read it. You know when I sit down and when I rise up and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, you know it all. In your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and lead me in the everlasting way. It's a great psalm. 
God's knowing all things. And we use the word knowing sometimes for just something cerebral, but this is something very special, very personal when we speak of God's knowledge and that we know our wise Heavenly Father knows what we need before we ask. He actually knows better than what we're going to ask. But so as we think of God's knowledge and His wisdom, God's knowledge is very personal. God's wisdom is very practical. It's taking that personal knowledge and practically working it out. His knowledge has all the facts, but His wisdom is emphasizing how He acts. He has all those facts, but wisdom is how he acts with those. It's not just that he's knowing all, it's that he's knowing how, as John Frame explained it. Or many have described it as his knowledge is the information, his wisdom is the application. All of those things we can see throughout all of this, in fact, his his, Burkhoff said, wisdom applies his knowledge in a way which glorifies him most. And on a human level, you can think about people who have one or the other. You, you can think of some people who are, who are pretty wise, who maybe didn't have a lot of schooling, but they are wise. Or you can think of people who have learned a lot of things, but are not very wise. They don't have good skill with people. Maybe even some of your doctors are that way. They're obviously incredibly intelligent, but it doesn't seem like there's, there's the wisdom sometimes in how they interact. God is not at all like that. He has infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom in how to deal with all peoples in all circumstances. And he works it with all of his other attributes. He's good. He has all power. It would be one thing if someone was all wise, but they couldn't do anything about it. God has all power to work within his wisdom. But his knowledge knows about all possibilities and contingencies. His wisdom is his skillfully and brilliantly working all things together for the ultimate good and his ultimate glory. In fact, this Old Testament word wisdom was used of weaving it was used of, of multicolored embroidery, skillful workers, skillful strategy. God's infinite genius does that with all things, all the time, working them together for his purposes that are ultimately wise. And so that's the definition. But let's talk about the display of God's wisdom. Romans eleven thirty three, second half of it says, How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. What are some of the ways that he displays his infinite and unsearchable wisdom? That language of ways makes me think of what Isaiah said. God's ways are not man's ways. And they're not just a little bit different. They're as, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how different God's ways are from our ways. But what God's wisdom decides and does is beyond us. And at the same time, it's displayed to us. And one of those inscrutable ways in the context is God's dealings with Israel. In fact, someone said many years ago, meditating on all of redemptive history with Israel, how odd of God to choose the Jews. <laughs> But, but just thinking about the, the way that he did it, picking such a small nation, 
Picking, picking these people who would be so rebellious throughout their history. You think of all the things that he did in their past, and then you think of the New Testament. They rejected their Messiah, and then his cross was, was a stumbling block, but it was foolishness to the Gentiles. And yet we read in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 how God, this is actually God's wisdom and power to save sinners all around the world. And in Romans 11, Israel's rejection was what God used in his wise plan to spread the gospel all around the world as they were persecuted and had to go out from Jerusalem to Judea and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. He didn't leave them comfortable in Jerusalem. They went out and that had been their mission all along. That was always God's purpose through Israel, that all the nations would be blessed in and through faith in the son of Abraham and the son of David. And the world turning to Christ one day in Romans 11 holds out this hope that Israel will, in fact, turn to Christ. Well, let's turn to chapter 1. And I think this is especially fitting for what we heard today already in Sunday school on creation and evolution. Brian's going to be sharing more about his creation ministry at the end of this service. And Lord willing, we'll be able to post that for those who weren't able to to watch it, but Romans 1.19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. How has God shown things about himself that we can know? Verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature. His nature would include the fact that he's wise and all that we've been studying. These things have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of, of the world in the things that have been made. So God's power, God's nature, including his wisdom, is displayed in creation. In fact, Jeremiah says two times, God made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom. And by his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. It's an amazing thing to meditate on God's wisdom in creation and creatures. And in fact, scientists study things about how creation has been designed so they can learn how to do things better. It's an amazing thing. God's wisdom. Proverbs 8 talks about God's wisdom there in the beginning and creation, in, in the depths, in the springs, in the mountains, in the hills, in the skies, and his skillful design of everything on earth. And wisdom is personified there in, in Proverbs. It's, it's like someone crying out, to see, see the wisdom that I am offering you. Don't be foolish and, and reject what God has for you. See, come to me as more valuable. Get me wisdom and not the things of this world. Psalm 136 calls us to sing to him who by wisdom made the heavens, to him who made great lights, the sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars. Those things show God's wisdom. Moon and the stars. And even you study how perfectly they are designed for us and for life here. We can say, I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all those stars obey. Lord, how your wonders are displayed wherever I turn my eye. If, if I should gaze up or survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky. All around us, God's glorious wisdom is displayed. Psalm 104 
talks about the sun and the moon, the seasons and the cycles, and how God sustains all creatures at all times in his incredibly intelligent design. And it mentions beasts and birds and branches and badgers and the boundaries of the depths and all these things. And then Psalm 104, 24. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, both small and great. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Every little flower that opens, each little bird that sings, he made those glowing colors, he made those tiny wings. The purple-headed mountain, that river running by, the sunset in the morning that brightens up the sky, the cold wind in the winter, the pleasant summer sun, the ripe fruits in the garden. He made them every one. He gave us eyes to see them and lips that that we might tell all things wise and wonderful. God does all things well. Amen. His wisdom is all around us. And you can talk about even the way he is designed. I mean, thinking about the sun and the moon, if the sun was a little bit bigger and a little bit hotter, or if we, our orbit was a little bit closer to the sun, life would be impossible. And, and the same if it, was, if it wasn't hot enough, or if we were a little bit farther, if we weren't rotating on this exact axis, if we weren't right where we were in our solar system, or even the way he, he put us in the universe, in a place where we actually have a prime viewing place with telescopes to be able to look out and see the rest of his creation. All these creatures that defy evolution. You, you, can, you can see videos on, on these creatures that it almost seems like God created them specifically to defy those evolutionists who think they're wise, because there's no explanation for it. But Romans 1 says... Men suppress and reject that. They have to work hard to hold it down. And they profess to be wise, and they become fools, even though they have degrees after their name. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. There's been many lies through all the world, from naturalism, Darwinism, to Marxism, to sexual identity, or or gender fluidity, or bodily autonomy, or critical theory, progressive Christianity, all these different things. But you know what's encouraging to me is to know that there are youth here who are wiser than their unsaved teachers. There are young people, according to God's word, Psalm 119, 100 talks about how we can actually be wiser than teachers and professors who don't know God, who suppress The truth, Psalm 19 says, God's word converts the soul and makes wise the simple. And he's done that in many of your lives. We are simple people, not many wise among us. But God chooses those of us who are foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise. And here's what 2 Timothy 3.15 says. From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. And I look at some of the kids here. You've been knowing and hearing from your parents and from children's ministry the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. 
through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You can be wiser than people in the world who have more degrees than a thermometer. (laughs) If you hear God's word, you put it into practice, you wisely seek to apply it. Sin makes us stupid, but scripture can make us saved and wise in Christ. There was a Puritan named Stephen Charnock who said, creation is the footsteps of God's wisdom. Salvation is the face of God's wisdom. I like that. Creation, kind of, we can kind of trace out the, the footsteps, but it's, it's through salvation that we ultimately see the, the face. I think of our immortal, invisible God, only wise, as Paul talks about in Timothy, and yet this God who, who cannot be seen or known by us apart from his grace and special revelation, that, that God becomes a man that we can see. He lives among us. He walks among us. His footsteps actually went across this, this earth, and he lived as fully man and fully God, and he died in a way that would fulfill justice and mercy in a way that God can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. How, how, how could man ever come up with that? No religion ever came up with a plan like God's because there is no other way and, and no other religion has this plan of the, of the cross and then the, the resurrection how unsearchable is the, the judgment of God as his judgment is being poured out on God the Son on the cross, actually pouring out wrath on God on the cross. How, how inscrutable to, to the fallen mind is the way that God saves sinners and that he would save sinners by their very sin of crucifying him. That's where salvation is found. It's only the wisdom of God that can take evil, crucifixion, and can turn it to good. Salvation for those who see that as their only hope. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God that in the depth of our sin, we rebels against the king, he would rescue us and bring us to the heights of his kingdom. That God would become man to save men who hated God. There's no other way or there's no other wisdom. There's no other world religion that comes up with anything like that because only God, our all-wise God, could come up with a plan like that. Well, think of the depth of riches and glory that he gave up to live in humanity and obscurity and poverty. And he did all this to die for our depravity and to bring many sons to glory. O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam came to the fight and to the rescue came. O wisest love, O the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge, the knowledge that knows the depth of our struggles, that knows the depth of our sin, that knows the depth of our pain and suffering firsthand, Because Jesus is fully man, and he is wisely working out his perfect plan for us weak and frail people. And he can identify, he knows what it's like, not just because he knows all things, but because he knows experientially. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and struggles. And he is all wise, he is all knowing, who can grasp 
your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love that you would use our foolishness and use our weakness to show your wisdom and to show our power? You realize that's how God works. He uses us who are foolish, who are weak, who lack. He does it to put himself on display so there's no other explanation but his wisdom and his power at work. God could have made a plan to save people with impressive angels showing up and wowing people with this incredible message and with their wisdom. But that's not how he chose to do it. He chose to use us, as 1 Corinthians calls us, weak, fearful, trembling, fallible servants, He says, so that your faith will not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul says, you told the Corinthians, I wasn't with you with impressive wisdom and rhetoric. I came to you in fear, trembling. But it was all what I just read, so that his power and his wisdom would be on display. A wisdom that the world didn't recognize, or else they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. How inscrutable are your ways that seem foolish to the worldly wise. And, and it's, it's in that Ephesians 3.10 passage, it's amazing. If you want to look there, just let me read it to you. It says that as we preach these unsearchable riches, it says, Through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the the authorities in the heavenly places, to the angels in the heavenly places. One translation says, God's purpose in all this was to use his church to display his wisdom in all of its rich variety to that unseen world. So the angels were actually watching this. The angels were were seeing this. The fallen angels, as they saw this unfolding, they were in shock and they were in dismay at the wisdom of God defeating them. When, When they thought Jesus was defeated, he's actually defeating them. And then when he rose, it was to their shock and awe and dismay. And the angels in heaven were, were marveling at the depth of, of wisdom in saving the church. I mean, the angels were watching all this unfold. Jesus said when he was going to the cross, even, and when he was in Gethsemane, I could ask the Father, there's, there's 12 legions of angels ready to come rescue me. There's 72,000 of them on standby, just waiting, looking to the Father. Should we go? What do we do? They're, they're taking Jesus and... This is all part of God's wise plan, but the angels and the disciples sure didn't understand the plan. Peter says angels were longing to look into these things about how the Christ was going to be revealed, how he was going to save sinners, and now they see this happening, and the angels are marveling as they see the wisdom of God and how he saves in a way that satisfies all of God's attributes and how he brings people together in the church that would never hang out otherwise. I mean, let's be honest, there's people here that we wouldn't hang out with if we weren't Christians, but because we're Christians, we, we love each other. And that's a marvel to even the angels, not just to the world. The angels are actually rejoicing every time a sinner joins the church. There's great rejoicing in heaven, Luke 15 says. The angels are watching this. And to the fallen angels, Jesus proclaimed his victory as he rose. It says, Peter says, he declared his victory to the spirits that were in prison. And so listen to this thought. The theater of the world is not big enough. 
God's wisdom is like this flawless diamond as big as the earth with so many facets that not even the angels can take in all of the many colors that are reflecting out from it. Each color is just showing but a tiny part of his wisdom. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable his ways. And yet there is a point that we are called to discern and, and to fathom, to discern God's wisdom for, for our life. So how, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? We've got to have it in the right order. He doesn't need us. We don't add any wisdom to him at all. This is a quote from Isaiah 40 where he says, Behold your God. And part of what he says there is, Who has been his counselor? Who as his counselor taught him? With whom did he take counsel? In other words, which of you did, does God ask for advice from? Who instructed him knowledge? Who showed him the way? His understanding is unsearchable. And yet Isaiah goes on to say, He helps those who are weak. He strengthens us. And so the reality is we don't know God's mind. But there, are, there is this truth in Scripture that renewed minds can discern his wisdom for our life. So look at chapter 12, verse 2, just a couple of verses ahead. Chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. We can discern his will. We can discern his wisdom by renewed minds in God's word. And I think we'll need to do a whole other message on the will of God, as that's mentioned in the next chapter. That's such a big subject. But here's some takeaways for now. Number one, trust God with what you don't know. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot I don't know. What we need to do is trust God in those things that we don't know, in those things that we can't know. Romans 11, verse 20, says at the end of the verse, Do not become proud, but fear. We read at the start of this service, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. That's where it starts. We can't even begin to pursue wisdom if we are proud. We need to fear the Lord. We need to have a deep, reverent humility. Paul even spoke about his fear and, and trembling as he handled God's Word. We need to start with that deep, profound sense of our need and our lack. And we need to discern what we can't discern. I think that's our problem sometimes. We're trying to discern things that we aren't meant to discern, that God doesn't reveal to us. We need to remember God is God and you are not. I need to remember that. Sometimes I'm trying to do things that really are God's role. God doesn't need a counselor. He doesn't need us to inform him of anything. I can't search the unsearchable. I can't scrutinize his inscrutable ways. And, and here's a big one. He doesn't show us the future. We want to know the future, don't we? Yeah, I do. He doesn't show us that because he's wise and he knows that wouldn't be best for us, good for us. We need to trust him 
That's how he grows us in wisdom and dependence upon him. I need to humbly trust that God knows what he's doing. I need to often say, I'm out of my depth here. But I'm going to trust in the depth, the wisdom, the knowledge of God. So let me ask you, what or where do you need to trust God with what you don't know today? What you wish you could know, but you've tried and you can't and you don't. Where do you need to trust God? Verse 34 says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? You're not expected to raise your hand. You're not supposed to say, I can, I do. Who is his counselor? The answer is not you or me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your, what? Own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And that includes his understanding. And he will direct your path as you're seeking to honor him. As it begins with that fearing him, wanting to reverence and honor him, bowing before him. He will help direct you. We can't read the mind of the Lord. But we can and we must trust his heart. I can't read his mind. But I need to trust his heart. He's good. He's wise. He's proven that. Our all-wise Heavenly Father knows best. Some of you have read the book, The Hiding Place. It's in World War II, many dying. Future is very unknown. And a little girl's mind feared, was anxious. Mr. Ten Boom sat down at the edge of the narrow bed. Corey, he began gently, when you and I go to Amsterdam... When do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times, considering this. Why, just before we get on the train. Father said, exactly. And our wise Father in heaven knows exactly when we are going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will find the strength that you need just in time. Don't worry. Trust your all-wise Father. Every day and with each passing moment, we can find strength to meet our trials here if we're trusting in our Father's wise bestowment. We don't have cause for worry or for Fear. Trust God in what you don't know. And then a second takeaway. Ask God for wisdom in his word. This isn't just a passive trusting. It's an active praying. We need to trust and obey. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him what? ask of God. And he gives to all generously and without reproach. Isn't that good news? When I ask God for wisdom again, he never says, oh, you again. How many times have I told you? He doesn't reproach me. No, he loves me to do that. In fact, he's probably thinking often, again, you're not going to ask me for wisdom? 
But, but he, he never, he's generous, he has riches, and he, he generously gives those. He never says, how many times am I going to have to tell you? No, if you lack, come to him. He, he loves, as a father, to be generous with his riches. And James says later in his book, you have not because you ask not. And he also says you need to be hearers of the word and not doers only. You can hear it and it's just knowledge. But wisdom applies the word. You need to do something with the word when you read it, when you hear it. And so ask for wisdom with an open Bible. Ask what to do with what you read. Proverbs 2 says, If you receive my words, making your ear attentive to wisdom, if you seek for it like silver and search for it like hidden treasures. Imagine trying to find a a treasure, how you would search for it. It says, If you seek it and search for it that way, then you will understand. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge. But you've, you've got to seek it. You've got to study it. You've got to go after it. It doesn't just passively come to you as you, as you sit back and do nothing. Solomon, who wrote those words, knew that experientially as he prayed for wisdom. God would give him anything. would have given him any riches he wanted, but he asked for wisdom. And, and God blessed him with that. And he's telling his son, you've got to ask for wisdom. God will give it to you. And an example of how to ask God for wisdom in his word is Psalm 90, verse 12, there on the screen. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's a great prayer. Help us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then it says, show your work to your servants and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's a great prayer at the end of Psalm 90 to pray regularly. For God to teach you how to number your days, how to schedule and order your life in this, this week that you would be wise to, to wisely use your time and let his work, his work be shown to you and establish the work of your hands. Watch and pray for these things, for wisdom in our work and to number our days rightly. The other prayer there is from Colossians 1.9, how Paul prays, Prayed for others. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's praying that God would fill him with that wisdom so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what it looks like, walking in a way that pleases him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's a great prayer to pray for others. There's people on your heart you pray for regularly. Take, take one of these prayers like Colossians 1.9 and, and following and pray for that and pray it for yourself as well. Colossians 4.3, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word that I may make it clear. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of your time or redeeming the time. Pray and obey. And then the third takeaway is praise Jesus. For wisdom in him. Look back at it, Romans eleven thirty four. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? We actually know the answer. There's, there's someone who has been and who has known the mind of the Lord. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor. And he knew the mind of the Lord for every situation. And, and listen to this, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He says, But we have the mind of Christ. And so it's not just Christ that, that knew that. We actually, when we're in Christ, have the mind of Christ. He says there in Corinthians, You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom 
from God. We preach Christ crucified. He says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what we preach. Christ is the wisdom of God. And so if you are not in Christ here today as a sinner, this is what you need. You need to turn from your foolish sin and turn to Him to, to save you. To say, be thou my wisdom and, and Lord of my heart. Christ is the wisdom of God. And when we're in Christ, He becomes wisdom to us. And so Paul praises the Lord in the end of Romans 11, but we can praise the Lord, Jesus that he has known the mind of the Lord for us, and he gives wisdom to us from it. We have the mind of Christ. Think of those disciples who were uneducated fishermen, and yet in the book of Acts, as they are speaking, the wise religious leaders are marveling at how did these guys get this wisdom to speak like this? The wisdom of Stephen was confounding all the religious leaders there in the book of Acts. For example, but they, were, they could tell they had been with Jesus, it says. And in the Gospels, Jesus showed wisdom in every situation. So if you want to study what wisdom looks like, study how Jesus interacted with people. Study Christ to be wise. And then when foolish thoughts come into our mind, we need to take those foolish thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Remember Proverbs says to seek wisdom like hidden treasure. Colossians 2, 3 says, In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, they're in Christ. And Christ is better than silver. He's better than gold. He is better than any riches untold. So we need to treasure Christ. We need to seek Christ above all. And right before that in Colossians, when Paul says, we proclaim Christ. He says, here's how we proclaim Christ. Teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we praise him for his wisdom and then we proclaim him to everyone with wisdom so that they'll grow in Christ. Oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom and the knowledge of God that are in Christ for us so let's be in his word. Let's pray that his word would be in us. And I'll end with Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing. So we're going to move from teaching to singing in praise to our all-wise God. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for these truths that you have hidden from the wise of the world and you have revealed to us. And like Paul prayed in Ephesians, we ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and help us to understand and grasp and comprehend more of the depths and breadth and height and length so that we can watch carefully how we live, as he says, not as unwise but as wise, making the very best use of the time and redeeming the time because the days are evil. Help us in these evil days to have wisdom. Help us as we raise our children in these evil days. Lord, give the parents here wisdom in their, in their schooling and in all the choices that we have to make. Lord, give us wisdom and help us when we need wisdom to ask, whether it's from church elders or the elderly in the church when we have difficult decisions, and help us to proclaim Christ 
with all wisdom. And I pray for open doors even today in his name. We pray these things in the name of the wonderful counselor, the one who is all wise and all gracious. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.